All right, if you would now turn your Bibles to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. I don't have the bulletin here with me. Can somebody tell me what page that is in the Pew Bible? 501, if you did not bring a Bible. 531, if you didn't bring a Bible, you can grab the pew Bible there in front of you, the black one. Turn to page 531 and follow for Psalm 78. This sermon today is a big one. And it is one that, that weighs more heavily on the churches in 2015. This passage in the Bible is about one generation passing on the truth of God to the next. Y'all, the future of our families is dependent upon what we do with the Word of God now. I hope you feel the weight of that before you got here today, and I hope that today we'll do nothing but love you and encourage you and strengthen you in that. God has given us a big, beautiful responsibility and it begins somewhere along the lines of loving young people. About a year ago, I preached a sermon here called, Why All the Emphasis on Young People? Uh, and I remember that sermon. I hope that you do too. And I talked about why our church wants to be committed in a strong way to young people. Not so much as a program of our church, but the very core of what our church is about is investing in young people. And I think that's the way God would have it to be. Last night was Halloween. I'm sure you know that. October the 31st. Uh, and we got to go trick-or-treating. And yesterday was just a, just a good day. Uh, it was actually cooler, I mean, warmer last night than it was all day long. If you were out trick-or-treating, uh, then you saw that. It wasn't cold last night. It was cold yesterday day. The kids had some friends over. We were playing soccer and football in the backyard all day. And, of course, we love that. And people are playing. And we played all day. And then we took a break. And we carved some pumpkins, some jack-o'-lanterns. We carved three yesterday. And that was fun. And then we, we ended the night with going trick-or-treating on our street, Chieftain Drive. And, and I got to thinking about how, how cool just trick-or-treating is. And that the sense that there are kids everywhere walking up and down the street. That would seem to be... an an old-fashioned thing, but, it, but it's not. It's still happening. You know, there's a lot of talk these days about our society being an isolated society, right? When we sit down in a doctor's office, we just pull out our phone and we don't even want to talk to anybody. We'll just do this the whole time. It's not uncommon to see a kid riding in the car with his parents with his headphones on because he doesn't want to talk to them or they don't want to talk to him. Uh, this is pretty normal. We are isolated society. It is pretty normal for you all to not even know your next door neighbor. You'll have very busy lives. You'll have lots of friends. People will be over to your house all the time. But the person that lives right there, you've never met. Or the person that lives across the street, you've never met. That, that happens a lot. It's an isolated society. Yet, I was encouraged last night to think all the neighbors were out together. All of the houses had their front porch light on and kids were everywhere. Hundreds of kids walking the street and parents bumping into each other, families bumping into each other and talking. It was neat. Perhaps it's unfortunate that it takes Halloween to make that happen, but 
just seeing it for what it was, it was good. People out talking, kids everywhere running around, happy, and I liked it. I want us as a church to realize that's a beautiful thing. Kids and our loving of them and beyond that, our investing in them. Beyond that, our being able to truly lead them is one of the things that God's Word is all about. And I'm going to say here from the beginning, as a father of five kids, it's hard to read passages like this and not feel like a failure. All of us, to some extent, are going to read this passage today and feel like a failure. But I pray that the grace and mercy of God would meet us right where we are and we wouldn't feel beat down. Instead, we would say, I want to do a better job of leading my kids to God. I want to communicate to them who He is and what He has done in the world and for me. And I pray that you would be encouraged today with the inspiration to go and do that. If you would, read with me in Psalm 78. Now... I know some of y'all are looking at this going, wow, there are 72 verses in Psalm 78, and he normally doesn't get done until afternoon anyway, so how in the world is this going to happen? We're only going to look at the first eight verses today, okay? (laughs) Psalm 78, Psalm 78, somebody just yelled out hallelujah. (laughs) Psalm 78, one through eight, let's read. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might. And the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers. A stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation whose heart was not steadfast and whose spirit was not faithful to God. The Word of God here in Psalm 78 by Asaph. If you're paying attention, you know that last week's sermon 73 was also by Asaph. 78 here today is by Asaph as well. Asaph under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants us to feel the great responsibility of so leading our kids that they would hope in God and be faithful to God. The goal and responsibility of every family to their children, as well as every older generation to younger generations, is to so love them, teach them, and raise them that they would set their hope in God. We must feel this. We must get this. And we must begin today, right now, as soon as we leave here, saying, how might I do that? And may God help us. I want us to see in these eight verses three points. 
Number one is one generation has the responsibility to tell the next generation about God. Number two, God has a testimony for us to tell. God has told us what we are to be telling them. And then number three, God has so designed life that they will set their hope in God if we are faithful to tell them. Okay? Number one, one generation has the responsibility to tell the next generation about God. Look how this begins. It begins with this large announcement. Hey, listen up. Give me your ear. Give ear, oh my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Hey, listen, I got, I got something that I want to say, Asaph says. Hey, hey, pay attention to me. Hey, l- listen, he says. I'm going to open my mouth in a parable and I will utter dark sayings from of old. He wants to teach them something and it's, it's not something new. It's not, hey, I bet you never heard this before. It's dark sayings from old, things from long ago. Well, where'd you get it, Asaph? Verse 3, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told, it, have told us. In other words, there is something that I have learned along the way in life that I am obligated, that I have this huge responsibility to make sure you get. He's saying this to the next generation. He's saying this to the young people. Our children, folks, I hope that you believe this, are given to us by God. There's never been a womb to conceive and hold a child if God did not place that child there. Never. That's why this week when China announces that their one-child policy has been reversed and they are now able to have two children in China, we rejoice. God gives children. And if God is the giver of children, then you and I must think of them on some level at least as borrowed. I don't mean to hold them lightly, I mean to hold them even tighter. I hope you understand that about borrowing something. We will give them back to Him. Folks, we will give our kids back to God. And the heaviest truth perhaps here today is that some of us are giving our children back to God not ready to meet Him. I hope that will shake you today. I hope that this Sunday afternoon would be different than every Sunday afternoon you've ever had because you are realizing that. They are borrowed. And Psalm 78 tells us what we are to do with them while we have them. So God has not said, do your best. God has said, here's what you do. And it should not be a responsibility that weighs us down, that crushes us. It should be a joyful responsibility in which God has told us what we will do. And this is what Asaph is saying. I've got something to say. Listen up, I will. Even verse 2 of Psalm 78 is quoted in the book of Matthew as Jesus saying he is the fulfillment of that because Jesus is communicating to us what God would have us to know. Jesus is the living Word. And so when Jesus is teaching... In the Gospels, he is telling us the very thing that God would have us to know. It's awesome that Asaph in Psalm 78 is saying to us, Hey, listen, I've got something that I must tell you. You have to hear this. You've got to know it. My father taught it to me. Our fathers taught it to us. And I want to get it to you. And it is of the utmost importance. And Jesus is quoted as having fulfilled that. If our children are borrowed, 
then wouldn't we want to make sure that when they get back to him, they are in the best shape possible? Don't you know that when you borrow something, you give it back better than you found it, right? I remember we had a young man here years ago who bought a car for $1,000 from another church member. Church was good and it lasted for, I mean, the, the car was good and it lasted for a long time. One day his brother needed the car. He was in college. Some of y'all youth, when I was youth pastor, remember this. His brother borrowed the car and had it for a few weeks and then he gave it back to him. When he gave this maroon Pontiac back to him, the front end was crashed. The driver's side, driver side window was busted out. And when you open up the door, the whole inside paneling was gone. And I remember the young man going, well, thanks a lot. That's not how you're supposed to return something to somebody. It was in such bad shape that he had to get a new car. That's not really borrowing, is it? And yet, in a very real sense, God has been so gracious to give us children. We understand it as a gift because there is a love there that only a mother and father can understand. And yet, we let them live and get back to God not ready, not prepared, not forgiven, not in His love. What a danger. Our generation has the responsibility to tell the next generation about God. This begins in the simplest relationship of parents to children and then it blossoms out. Whether you have kids or not, it is our responsibility to make sure that the next know it. As Miss Ramey has told us so beautifully today, the principal of her school at the time even understood that. If you can, turn with me to Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13 is the second book in the Bible. And I want to show you where Moses is teaching that this should be the case of all adults to their children. All adults to the younger people. In the story of the Exodus, you may know, God brings the ten plagues upon Egypt and Pharaoh to set his people free. And the last plague is the death of the firstborn. And anybody could escape that if they would listen to God and do the Passover. If they were to kill a lamb and put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, God would pass over and their children would not die. Their children would live. Well, after that happened, they were set free Pharaoh and Egypt let them go, and the Israelites were told to go on. In chapter 13 of Exodus, you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is a celebration because of this. If you look down at chapter 13, verse 8, again, Moses talking to the people who've just been set free, and he says, You shall tell your son on that day, that's the day that they celebrate, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. What a testimony, right? Can you picture that? Can you picture a, a father with a son sitting him down saying, Son, can I tell you what the Lord did for me? 
Can I tell you about my experience of newness of life? Can I tell you about my experience of cleansed conscience? Go ahead, just a few more verses. To verse 11, it says, When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as He swore to you and your fathers and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb, all the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. Now look at verse 14. I love this verse. And when in time to come your son asks you... And I hope that every single mother and father here today is burdened for the day when they start asking. This week I was in the kitchen doing dishes or something like that and Eli walks in and says, Dad, what is your favorite Bible verse? I thought, Amen. And I told him. And I prayed, God, one day give him a favorite Bible verse. One that he holds tight. One that rocks his world. One that convicts him of sins and gives him hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Moses is telling them that in time, when they come, when your son comes and he asks you, what does this mean, right? That's what they ask all the time. You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. God saved us. Don't our kids ask questions all the time? When, when, when we just got done right here, Noah has just recently stopped going to nursery and coming into church, and uh, it's kind of built up the stress for me and Val of him being in here, but it's, a, it's something that we should be doing. Uh, we want them to learn to sit through worship. That's why they're in here. Uh, and when we just got done with the first song and Micah prays, in our service, we allow everybody to go around and greet each other. We want you to be able to greet each other. And so we do that, and Noah comes to me and says, what are we doing? What's happening right now? Right? Well, if you're five years old, you've never been up here before, you're thinking the same thing, right? What am I supposed to be doing right now? Kids are like that. They ask questions. Why, why do you read your Bible? Why do you do that? Why did you just give your money? Why do you say you're sorry? Why do we go to church? Why, why, why? And Moses says these situations will come about through the life of one who is devoted faithfully to God. And when in time your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out. People, listen, turn back to Psalm 78 now. Young people who are here today, and we have several young parents that are here today, we have several, and all parents of young people. Listen, if you are not fo following Jesus faithfully now, then your kids will not want to when they grow up. Society and history and the record has shown us this. It will not happen. Bringing them to church is not the solution to get them close to God. And a matter of fact, it may be the formula to get them further away from God. One of the most puzzling things happening in 2015 in the USA is the amount of people who are saying, I want nothing to do with church and God because I was raised in church. Can we admit here today that raising our kids in church as the only effort to have our kids know and love God is not helpful to the work of God? Because our example of what it means to be a Christian gives them a bad taste for it. The goal of our church 
is not to have a student ministry program that meets back there on the second floor on Wednesday night at 7 that is so out of this world that it alone is able to change lives. We have not been able to find anywhere in the world, and all of you who have been to other churches can testify to this, there are not student ministries that are able to make disciples of young people in and of themselves. Although parents all over the world are wishing for it, that is not the way God has designed it. We don't have the pressure and burden on Jake and Samantha Beatty for them to be world changers. And if anybody in the world out there can get their teenager to First Baptist Fairdale, something's going to happen and their kids are going to love Jesus. That is not true. That is not in the Scriptures. And that is not student ministry. Student ministry is a way for there to be icing on the cake for people who are already discipling their children. For people to pour into them from a different level, just another relationship on top of that to help that happen. I couldn't tell you how many times being a young pastor, parents come to me all the time and say, can you help with my, with my young person? And I can try, but in the back of my head, I'm knowing I cannot do anything that you're not doing. And the Word of God teaches us this. Every once in a while, occasionally, by the grace of God, somebody whose family has no interest in God at all, God saves them. It, like Miss Ramey's case. But that is often because what they are seeing in their family is so not good that they are looking for something better. But when a family is a good family, but it doesn't have the gospel with it, forgiveness of sins, hope in Christ, newness of life, Jesus, the glory of God, I'm going to heaven, hatred of sin. When a family doesn't have that, but they're a good family, then what is created in the person is not a love for God and His forgiveness. You see it time and time and time again. And we hear the excuses all over the place, well, I tried and I took them to church. God has not told us that. Psalm 78 is telling us what we are supposed to be doing. We don't want to have a good student ministry program here. Here's what we want at First Baptist Fairdale. Call it revolutionary. Call it old school biblical. We want to be a church that says every older person must pour into every younger person. That's what we want. We want it to be the case that the teenagers here are fine to hang out with the older people. We want it to be the case that there are relationships all along the line that it is okay for an 18-year-old kid or a college student to have a relationship with his 35-year-old pastor and his wife. We want it to be the case, and it is the case, that many of our college students have been out to dinner or out to lunch with people like Miss Ramey, although she's in her 80s. Why? Because the Bible teaches us that this is how the next generation comes to know God. And if your formula is for the whole of your Christianity to be just church at 1045 on a Sunday morning and you're doing nothing else with your children, I pray it's not the case. But don't be surprised when they hit their 20s if they don't want to be about it. And I'll already defend Jake and Samantha. It's not their fault. It is the responsibility of one generation telling the next generation. Everybody loves a 35-year-old pastor that's got five kids that run around and they're happy right now, right? Because there's not really any accountability going on with a seven, six, five, two, and six months. But what about when they're 27, 26, 25, and 22, and 20? If my kids don't want anything to do with the Lord Jesus Christ? And their answer is, you know, well, I just, uh, I don't really want to be about church anymore. I'm just not sure. I mean, my dad had me going to church all the time, so all we ever did was pray together and read the Bible and do stuff like that. No, no, no. 
Y'all won't even let me be your pastor anymore if they don't want anything to do with God. Why? Because there's a responsibility there. God has so designed it that this would be the case. One generation to tell the next. Look at verse 4. We will not hide them from their children. Asaph seems to say that not telling them, not making sure they get this, has now created that we have hid it from them. We've kept it from them. How could he say that? Because there's a responsibility there. It was, it was my job. But we would tell to the coming generation. Tell them what? The glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. Number two. God has something for us to tell them. God has a testimony. Verse 4 says it like that. The glorious deeds, His might, and the wonders that He has done. Verse 5 says that the testimony for us to tell is that He has established a testimony in Jacob. He has appointed a law in Israel. Imagine that. Imagine, if you will, the humor or the understatement at best that God has a testimony, right? Every single Sunday we allow somebody to come up here and give a testimony. And, and just for clarity, that is not a testimony of what they have done. We did, I didn't ask Ramey to come up here and say, Ramey, tell us how you're so good at life. The testimony is what has God done in you. And in and, and, and Psalm 78, Asaph says, God has established a testimony in His people. There is one. Well, what is it? Well, here it is the rest of Psalm 78 for those of you that are interested. From verse 9 through verse 72, Asaph is about to recall the history of the people of Israel. Going back to slavery, what set them free, the experiences they went to, the wonders that they have seen. It's particularly, it's the glorious deeds of the Lord, His might, and the wonders that He has done. And it's all described there in the rest of Psalm 78. In other words, he's saying, hey y'all, look at all that God has done to bring us to this point. We've got a history, we've got a heritage of the hand of God leading for us and taking care of us. God's testimony in our lives is literally everything we've ever done. That's why I laugh every Wednesday night when I say somebody like to share about what God's doing in their life and half the time nobody wants to say anything. And I laugh because I'm saying, I promise you, He is doing things. Because He's doing everything. I could have a testimony for an hour right now about this morning. I woke up rested, man, God gave me that extra hour of rest. And then I was frustrated like crazy trying to get the kids, trying to get the kids ready and me and Dad trying to get them here. And that's a lesson in and of itself. I should have just been up earlier. I should have been quicker. I should have prepared more. Everything is a testament about what God is teaching us. God has established a testimony. That testimony is climaxed In the saving work of Jesus. God made you. God takes care of you. God is working every moment of your life. You have sinned against Him. You have wronged Him. In love, He sent His Son to die for you. So that He would not condemn you you don't have to be condemned. You can be set free from your sins. And after He died on the cross, they buried Him. And the whole world thought all was lost and was in confusion and it seemed dark. 
But on the third day, he was back. He was alive. He was healthy. He was pure. He had a new body. He was the firstborn from the dead. And Jesus Christ is victor over everything there could possibly be. Sin and death and the devil. And if you would set your hope in Him, you are safe. What a testimony. That's a testimony that every single person should be able to hear. That's a testimony that we want our kids to get more than they get anything else. Our kids know a lot because we have taught them. They do. Our kids know a whole lot. You think about it, and I just got to thinking about this. We teach our kids. Let's don't think that we don't. I'm trying to emphasize that we don't teach our kids about God, but we teach them a lot. I got to thinking about how Brian Harden coaches basketball. I wonder why, his legacy of basketball. I got to thinking about how Bobby Samuels here has a barn at his house with horses. I wonder why, his dad has a barn with horses. I got to thinking about how both Larry and Morgan Stivers in our church both worked at Chevron. I wonder why, their father worked at Chevron. I got to thinking about how J.J., Eli, and Noah wear North Carolina Tar Heels clothes all the time. And they love the Carolina Panthers. Why? Because our dads do. And life is so designed that one generation influences the next generation. That's how it works. And so, if our kids are not setting their hope in God, the majority of the time, it's because they have not seen other people above us influence us who have set their hope in God. We are to be communicating this. We are to be telling them this. Yesterday was Halloween, October the 31st, but it also doubled and two very uh, polar opposite holidays with Reformation Day. And Reformation Day is the day that we celebrate as the day that Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the door because he was going against the Pope and the Catholic Church that salvation is by grace through faith. That Martin Luther is quoted for saying this, you are not only responsible for what you say, but you are also responsible for what you do not say. And this certainly applies from one generation to the next. My dad is responsible for everything he's ever said to me. and He's also responsible for everything he didn't say to me that he should have. And I get to thinking about how many of our kids can tell you so many facts. Some of our kids can tell you who was the coach of UofL in 1980 when they won the championship. People can tell us who was the, 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 the players for Kentucky basketball who won the championships. And people can tell us the, the colors of the rainbow. And people can tell us about this book. And people can tell us which Jordans are the 12s and which ones are the 11s and which ones are the 7s and which ones are this and which ones are that. And people cannot tell us how do we get forgiveness of sins. People cannot tell us what does the Bible talk about in John chapter 3 which should be so commonplace. And the only thing that we can conclude here is that there's been a lot of influencing in our culture and in our families on a lot of things except for God and His glory. I heard a story just recently of a boy who was in Sunday school. I love this story. He was in Sunday school and the teacher was teaching. He was at church. and 
teacher was going on and on telling stories in Sunday school. And the teacher said, okay, who, who can tell me what this animal is? It's small, it's real jumpy, twitchy, and brown. Got a little fluffy tail that, that, that flips like that a lot. And it can climb trees, it can store up acorns. It can do all that. The boy raised his hand and she said, okay, what, what animal is that? He said, Jesus. She said, that's it, boy, I've had enough. I'm going to get your dad. She goes and gets his dad and he comes back and he says, boy, what, what are you doing? He takes him out of class and he takes him somewhere to discipline him and he says, what are you doing? I'm, I'm tired of you embarrassing me here at church. I'm trying to teach you and yet you just continue to cut up and you do all that. And the boy looks up and he says, dad, I knew that she was talking about squirrels. He should have been talking about Jesus. And so it is with my family. And so it is with your family. A lot of hours in the day. A lot of time spent together. Not a lot of God. And it's wrong. There's a responsibility here. Turn with me to Genesis 22. And I want you to see how Abraham did this with Isaac. God has something for us to tell. We're not at a loss. We are to be telling what God has done. Genesis 22, if you know the Bible, this is Abraham when God told him to sacrifice his son of the promise, Isaac. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took his young men with him and his son Isaac. Now notice the obedience there, right? So already his son Isaac is seeing his dad as obedient to God, even on crazy claims from God to go and kill your son. Abraham says, okay, I'll do it. Children, are your parents obedient to God? Do you go home perplexed and puzzled why your parents aren't obedient to God? Or is your, is, is your life a, a faithfulness of all of the older people that, that are beautifully obedient to God? It keeps going. Verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Sadly, these days, we can even picture not even being able to wake the kid up, right? Couldn't get him up. I just couldn't get him up today. No, he had him up. He had him going to die. Verse 4, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, listen to this quote. And if you're a man or a dad, underline this. Verse 5, then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship. Do your children ever hear that? They don't. They hear, we're going to church. They don't hear we're going to worship. Going to church is something you do. Going to worship is something your heart does from brokenness by faith. Going to church is something that unbelievers do and can do. Going to worship is what believers in Jesus do. We are here today to have our hearts broken over our sins and have them restored by the power of God. That He loves us. And there is nothing, nothing else 
that we should want our children to get more than that. He says, y'all stay here. Me and the boy are going to go over there and worship. Turn back now to Psalm 78. In Psalm 78, he doesn't tell us to just tell them. He tells us what we could be telling them, what we should be telling them. He says, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. In other words, God has said, here's what I have done and here's what I have set up and here is the law. And now I command you to tell the children. The children should not go anywhere without getting this. And every so often I will ask, can anybody here tell us what the Ten Commandments are? The simple little rule system that God has set up that takes about a half a page in our like million page Bible and we don't even know that. No wonder our kids don't obey the Ten Commandments. We don't obey the Ten Commandments. No wonder our kids don't love the law of God. We don't love the law of God. And then he says, verse 6, that the next generation might know them. The children yet are born, yet unborn, and arise to tell their children. God has designed it that the history of the world would just be a cycle of, man, God's done so much for me, I want to tell these people about it. Man, God's done so much for me, I want to tell the next generation about it. Man, God's done so much for me, I want to tell the next generation about it. And then the younger generation is always going, man, I love God because they just told me all about it. And I love God because they just told me all about it. And next thing you know, there's more and more and more. God has told us what we are to be telling. And that is the work of God in our lives. Climaxed in the gospel of Jesus. Number one, our generation has the responsibility to tell the next generation about God. Number two, God has a testimony for us to tell. And then lastly here, number three, God has designed a life so that they will set their hope in God when we tell them. Look at verse 7. If we do one through six, there is the hope on us with the prayer dependent upon the mercy of God that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep His commandments. Isn't that what we want for every younger person? Do we not see an increasing culture in the world of people that do not obey whether it is in a school or in a home or in a neighborhood or on the news, we are seeing people who think they do not have to obey. Do not have to obey. And if somebody thinks they don't, have to obey, they don't have to obey an adult, then you better believe they certainly don't think that they have to obey God. Here he says that they would set their hope in God, not forget the works of Him, and that they would keep His commandments. Learning to obey adults is a beautiful step on the way to learning to obey God. We should be teaching this to our people. Judges 2.10, listen to this verse. It says, all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that He had done for Israel. And every time a generation passes to the next, we live in the balance of very well could be the case that the next generation will not know God and will not know 
what God has done for us. And it leaves us asking, has God done anything for us? If somebody has done something for you, naturally you would be telling them about what God has done. Perhaps it is that we are not as close to God as we think. Let me remind you that being close to God is by grace through faith, by the work of God empowering you to trust Him. And being close to God is not nearly as much as you think about what you do for Him. That is the byproduct of what He does for you. God has designed it that they would set their hope in Him when we tell them. There's a phrase these days that we say that says, you had one job, meaning you had one job and you didn't even do it. I have to think about my own life and that I may be able to do a lot of things, but there is one responsibility that rises above the rest, and that is that I would tell the next generation about him. When I moved here several years ago, I started asking, is there any adult in Fairdale, any, who is working to get teenagers to know Jesus? And it took me a long time to find somebody who said, yeah, he's always working to point people to Jesus. And if that is the case, folks, whether it be in our homes or in our churches or just on the streets, if there are not people overwhelmingly telling the next generation about God, then please do not watch the news and shake your head saying, what has become of them? Because it is nobody's fault but the older generations. And I don't mean the old people that are here today. I mean everybody who's got somebody younger than them. God has told us this. If we don't want to read it, then we can go on saying that we're okay. But if we want to read the Word of God and feel the weight of what He's called us to do, then let's do it. God has designed it, folks. The children love to put their hope in Him. Jesus says that children are the example of what it means to put their hope in Him. Right? You have to have faith like a child if you're going to have faith at all. Children are the model for what it means. God has so designed it. Remember when Jesus said, let the children come to me? Jesus has designed it that children love to set their hope in Him. The only thing that keeps children from setting their hope in Him is when the the, the leadership of the older generation influences them to stay the way they are in their sins, lost without hope, without God. I love it in Psalm 71 where David says, listen to this, So even to old age and gray hair, O God, do not forsake me. Listen, until, until, God, I get to proclaim your might to the next generation. I want to tell of your power to those to come. That's Psalm 71, 18. Psalm 145, verse 4. One generation shall command your works to another, and they shall declare your mighty works. God's Word teaches us to do this. We sing the song, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand, and it says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And it is the desire of First Baptist Fairdale that every time we have a young person born in the church, raised in the church, or stops by from the high school, or something like that, we're desiring for them to say, I have one great hope, and it is built on nothing less than the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for my sins. 
And anything else for us we see as not helping them find God. At the end of Psalm 78, verse 8, he says, if they won't put their hope in God, they would be like their fathers, stubborn and rebellious. If you're a parent here today, and you'll admit that you're not that close to God, would you also admit you don't want your kid to be that way? Would you change? Would you repent? Would you alter life beginning now? One of the most moving things I've seen, I get to do a lot of funerals. One of the most moving things I've seen is when we had some kids that were growing up in this church without their parents. And their dad died at 53. They came and asked me to do the funeral. And it was kids that were growing up in this church and neither their mom or dad came. And then their dad died. And the boy was probably about seven or eight years old and I was already crying and he got to the end and the kids had to come by and see their dad in the casket as a 53-year-old dad, young dad. When he got to the part where he's right here, the little boy was trying to climb up in the casket to kiss his dad. Couldn't get there. It broke my heart because God has given dads something to do. To teach their kids to hope in God. And this boy doesn't even have a dad anymore. And it reminded me my kids do. God's given my kids me. It's not for me to do with it what I want. It's not for me to try to make them into the very best soccer player I possibly can if I've forgotten what's more important. All stars go to hell. Champions are hopeless. They need him. My heart was so moved when I saw online the funeral service for Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife, several years ago. Franklin Graham got up to speak. That's their son. With tears rolling down his face, he said, Our mama taught us to love the Lord our God with all our heart. And his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And because she did, we do. I'm going to die one day, and so will you. And may they say of us, thank you for giving me a treasure that will get me past life. Thank you for showing me what I needed to know. Thank you for helping me know God. Let's pray. Father, one generation will pass it on to the next, you say. If not, they will be stubborn. Father, I pray that you would teach us here today. And I pray, Father, that you would Help us grow now. Help us, Father, respond now.
and say, yes. I get to tell them about what God has done. Empower us to do it, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.